This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for a few minutes of your time this morning as we work our way around what happened last night in the world of sports. Big night here in the state of Connecticut, the UConn women taking on the number one team in the land, coming out victorious. We'll talk about all that. Uh, a bunch of changes coming up to Major League Baseball. We've got some new signings. Uh, so lots to get to this morning. Uh, some sad news this morning. Uh, Mary Wilson uh, of the Supremes passed away overnight. She was 76 years old, uh, died unexpectedly at her home in Las Vegas. Uh, again, she was 76 but appeared to be in great health. Just a couple of days ago, she was uh, uh, did a thing on uh, Twitter talking about uh, a bunch of new recordings were going to be released, and she seemed to be in great health and so it uh, shocked a lot of people. Of course, the Supremes, uh, one of, that's kind of the soundtrack of my childhood, you know, back in the uh, 60s and 70s. I mean, I grew up listening to Motown music uh, when it was at its height. You know, there's songs like, uh, you know, Baby Love and Stop in the Name of Love. They had some great stuff. Uh, so uh, Mary Wilson passed away at the age of 76 uh, unexpectedly uh, overnight. All right, let's get to... Uh, some good news. The UConn women last night beat South Carolina, the number one team in the country, a team with one of the top five most potent offenses in women's college basketball, came in averaging uh, 85 points a game, and UConn defense just stifled them last night. UConn wins the game in overtime 63-59. to Now, great win. UConn was uh, the pre the top 25 rankings had come out earlier in the day. South Carolina was actually number one. They had been number two in the previous week, so we were expected number two against number three. Well, it turned out that uh, South Carolina was one, UConn was two. But this was an ugly game. I mean, these are two teams that can light up the scoreboard. These are two teams that like to play defense as well. So you could say, well, it was great defense. I'm not sure what it was. But it wasn't pretty. But if you're UConn, you'll take it. The score at the end of the first quarter was 14 to 10. I mean, that it was brutal. Neither team shot well. UConn shot 22 percent in the first quarter. I mean, it was gross. Uh, matter of fact, for the game, neither team shot 40 percent. UConn was the closest. They shot 39.7. They held South Carolina to the 36.8 percent shooting last night. It was they couldn't even shoot from the free throw line. Neither team. Shot well from the line. Um, but UConn had one thing that South Carolina does not, and that's Paige Beckers. Now, Beckers is only a freshman. She has already done something that no women's basketball player at UConn has ever done. 
She scored 30 points in three consecutive games. Nobody else at UConn has ever done it. Now think about the number of great women's players that have come through that program, and nobody has ever scored 30 points three games in a row. Not Diana Taurasi, not Sue Bird, not Maya Moore, not, you know, nobody. Well, Paige Beckers did it last night, and she's only played 15 games in her career. She's a freshman. Think about how good this kid is going to be. You know, she was the number one recruit in the land. She called UConn her dream school. Everybody said, well, you know, it's let's see. Well, she has showed us very quickly. And think about this. She has done this all after coming back after missing a game with a sprained ankle that she suffered. And Gino Ariema claims she still wasn't 100%. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll take not 100% of Paige Becker's any day. I mean, she took this game over last night. Shot 14 for 26 from the field. 26 shots. You don't see that very often in a women's game where one player takes 26 shots. But they needed her to take every one that she did. She scored their last 13 points in this game. She scored their final four points in regulation to send it to overtime, and she scored all nine UConn points in the overtime. And you know what I love about this kid? There's no cockiness. There's nothing. I mean, she in her post-game press conference, she's still like, I can't believe this. I mean, she looks – I don't want to say she looks shocked because obviously she's had a lot of success in her high school career, but I think that, that she's enjoying the hell out of this, but there's no no cockiness to this kid at all. And, you know, the shot that she hit in the overtime to seal the win was a three-pointer that it looked good off her hand, but it hit the back of the rim, bounced straight up in the air. Now, a lot of times when they hit the back of the rim and they bounce straight up, you'll see them kind of go over the back of the backboard, which would have given the ball to South Carolina. No, this bounced straight up, came right down, right through the net, splash. I mean, it was unbelievable. You know, and even she said, I got a nice bounce. <laughs> um, so she has already become a legend in stores. 15 games into her career. But as I said, the rest of the game, not so pretty. Um, now, Aaliyah Boston, the top player for South Carolina, she is as advertised, folks. 17 points, 15 rebounds. She is a force in the middle of the floor, but you have to give a lot of credit to Olivia Nelson Adota. You have to give a lot of credit to Aubrey Griffin. They were not afraid to go in there and challenge her. Aaliyah Edwards, same thing. Aaliyah Edwards and Nelson Adota, you know, offensively weren't great last night. Didn't need to be. But they played great defense. They did a good job on the boards. Nelson Adota was seven rebounds last night and six assists. How about that? Uh, Edwards, five rebounds, a couple of assists. Uh, Griffin had three block shots last night. They just did a lunch pail kind of effort in the middle. Now, they got out-rebounded. There were a lot of rebounds in this game because there were a lot of missed shots. But, you know, Aaliyah Boston, the South Carolina big girl, is really talented. 
No question about it. But this UConn team, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have their best offensive night outside of Paige Beckers, but they did all the other things. They forced South Carolina into 21 turnovers last night. That's a ton. South Carolina had 25 field goals. They had 21 turnovers. You know, they held South Carolina to just one of nine shooting from three-point range. Now, UConn wasn't much better. They were two for 15, so it wasn't like either team, you know, was lighting it up. But UConn did the little things, did the things that they had to do and played great post-defense. So hats off to the UConn Huskies. Um, and, and by the way, you know, the game was tied at halftime. And the only reason it was even tied at halftime is South Carolina drained a uh, three-pointer from half court at the buzzer. I think it was uh, Beal. No, it was Cook that hit it. That was uh, Cook that hit it at the buzzer. She was only four for 13 last night. She had The only three-pointer came up was a half-court shot as the buzzer went off. Otherwise, South Carolina would have only scored seven points in the second quarter. So, look, Gino has said all along this team offensively is one of the worst shooting teams he's ever had there. You know, he has been very clear about that. But Paige Beckers uh, is on another level from these kids. Another level. And uh, and look, he is, he told her, look, there are nights you're going to have to do this. There's nights you might have to score 40. You know, he has given her the green light to just shoot, just play. Don't worry about it, you know, because she likes – look, she is a – she wants to get her teammates involved. That's one of the things you love about the kid. She's not trying to be a ball hog. She likes to pass. She still had five assists last night despite having 31 points. She likes to get her teammates involved, which is, you love to see that. And, by the way, Paige Becker's also had six steals, four rebounds, sold some popcorn at halftime, I understand. Uh, you know, she does it all. So, uh, but, you know, and the thing, as I said, what was great, and, and Gino Arham had talked about this. It was kind of weird, but he talked about this last night, talked about how the other Husky players have become great role players, right? And, uh, you know, for, for Beckers to be able to excel. And he said, you know, he it's like, you know, the rest of them aren't important. Paige Beckers does. Well, he went on his road, this, this kind of – uh, ran and it was really good. It was a great analogy. He said, "You know what?" He said, "What these other girls are doing is kind of like what the stage crew does for Billy Joel when he's in a concert. Billy Joel's a great entertainer, but he wouldn't be a great entertainer if the guy who was on the stage crew that was supposed to bring his piano out didn't bring it out. You know, I mean, it's just uh, you know." These girls understand that they that that Paige Beckers is a special player, and they are going to go as far as Paige Beckers takes them. Look, that's not to say that Kristen Williams isn't talented. That's not to say that you know that Edwards and Nelson Adota and and you know these other players, Nika Mule, one of the other freshmen, played thirty five minutes last night. It's not to say they're not talented, but Paige Beckers is a step above everybody else. 15 games into her career. Just absolutely uh, amazing. So UConn, uh, unless some, you know, the heavens opens up and they somehow lose to uh, Seton Hall when they play them on Wednesday, 
uh, UConn will be the number one team in the country when the top 25 poll comes out next year. UConn really doesn't have a challenge on its schedule for the rest of the regular season. This was it. This was their only game against a, um, you know, a top 20 team for the rest of the regular season. This, you know, and this was a statement game. After watching them get drilled by Arkansas the other night, and I'm still amazed, by the way, Arkansas's 14 and seven. You know, they tune the Huskies up. You know, now maybe it'll be different if they play again as UConn, you know, gets more confidence and plays better and better. But, you know, it's amazing to me that Arkansas has lost seven games. It really is. Uh, so it doesn't mean that UConn can't lose another game because we saw them lose to Arkansas, who's 18th in the country and is 14-7. and seven. But – this was a game last night for a young team, as young as this team is, you know, with, you think about this, you know, you had Beckers, you know, playing all those minutes last night. You had Nika Mule, you had Aliyah Edwards. Those are all freshmen playing all these minutes last night. I mean, it's just, uh, this is just going to give this team more and more confidence. So very, very fun night, uh, for the Yukon Huskies. And it was good to see, uh, other UConn news, the UConn men's hockey team ranked nationally for the first time in program history. Uh, they are 8-6-2. and two. Now, they're fourth in Hockey East, but Hockey East is one of the dominant conferences in the country. As a matter of fact, six Hockey East teams are ranked nationally. UConn is number 20 um, in the U.S. College Hockey Association national poll. Uh, they are 15th in the USA Today top 15 rankings. So they just sneak in, but look, they beat uh, number fourteen Northeastern four to one on Saturday. You know they have beaten number one Boston College this season. You know they have uh, beaten uh, UMass, which was one of the top, it was in the top ten. Uh, you know they have picked up some big wins this year. So uh, congratulations to the to the hockey. That's great. Good news for them. Um, other news from Connecticut: the Travelers Championship announced yesterday. They are uh, hopeful. When the Travelers happens, it's going to it's scheduled for June 21st to 27th at the TPC River Highlands in Cromwell. Uh, of course, it, you know, last year when it was staged, there were no fans. Uh, they hope to have fans this year. Uh, limited number. They don't know what that looks right now. But, you know, you look at the coronavirus numbers here in the state of Connecticut, and we are only at 3.6%. Uh, the numbers continue to drop here in the state of Connecticut. So... You know, that being said, you know, you would think that they are on pace to be able to have fans uh, come come June, which would be great. You know, normally, you know, they get 200,000 people there in the course of the weekend. It's a great event. One of the things I like about that course is there are so many great places to go as a fan to just sit and watch. You could, you know, you could plant yourself at a few of those holes and, uh, you know, just get great views all afternoon long. So uh, it, it's a very fan-friendly event, and uh, so I hope that is the case. I really do. Uh, top 25 basketball, men's basketball rankings came out yesterday too, by the way. Uh, some historic things. Kansas is out of the top 25 uh, for the first time in 12 years. They dropped out. They had been in the uh, top 25 for 231 consecutive weeks. Um. You know, and, and Gonzaga is still number one, no surprise there. Baylor, who has been on of a bit of a break because of some coronavirus issues, is still undefeated. They are number two. 
Uh, Michigan's three, Ohio State four, Villanova five. So not not a lot of movement there, other than Ohio State jumping up to new, uh, to number four uh, from number seven. Houston suffered a loss last week; they dropped down to uh, number eight. But uh, what's historic about this is UCLA also fell out of the top twenty-five. So now you have a top twenty-five in college men's basketball. This is amazing. No Kansas, no UCLA, no Duke no Kentucky, and no North Carolina. That is the first time since December of 1961 that at least one of those schools was not in the top 25. That is absolutely amazing. So uh, it is a it is an upside-down kind of season here in college basketball. You know, I mean, it just uh, boggles the mind. Uh, by the way, number two, Baylor had to postpone three more games because of the COVID-19 protocols. They were already on pause, and now they've had to postpone three more. North Carolina, uh, their game yesterday was postponed that they were supposed to play against Miami. It happened just before the game was supposed to happen. Why? Because two morons from the North Carolina team, Dayron Sharp and Armando uh, Baycott, were found uh, on a video on Snapchat, partying over the weekend without masks on. They were at a big party, no mask. That was just after they had beaten Duke by four points on Saturday, a big win, and they're all out partying. And so North Carolina said, you know what? We're not going to take the chance. We're canceling the game or postponing the game. So, you know, and this is where, you know, this is what a lot of this is a nightmare for a lot of coaches. This is why, you know, you can you can't count on 18, 19, 20-year-old kids to do the right thing. This is why I don't worry about baseball this season, you know, being able to play the whole season. It's why I don't worry so much about basketball and football and hockey. Yeah, it's, you know, there is some risk involved and you can't control what they do, but these are adults. You know, you have a better chance of an adult doing the right thing. 99 times out of 100, folks, kids that are 18 and 19 years old are not going to do the right thing. When I was 18, 19 years old, I wasn't always doing the right thing. It's just what comes with youth, stupidity, and that's how we learn. But, you know, I guarantee you that these two players that were caught without masks on are going to face disciplinary action from their team and or their school in general. No question. And you know what? Maybe they learn from that. You know, that's how kids learn, or that's how they're supposed to learn. But unfortunately for the rest of the North Carolina players, it comes at their expense. So, you know, it's just uh, insanity. Insanity. Uh, a couple of the notes before we take a break, um, and then when we come back, it's going to be all baseball for the last half hour of our show. Uh, Iowa State has a new football coach or a new, a new extension to, for their football coach. Matt Campbell agreed to a three-year contract extension. Um, he was the Big 12 coach. He's only 41 years old, young guy. Uh, but they won the Big 12, uh, or and uh, he got coach of the year on us for the third time in four seasons. You know, And it was the first time that uh, they got into one of those New Year's uh, six bowl games. So uh, good congratulations to him. Well earned. Um Pacers assistant coach, Indiana Pacers coach, Bill Baino, uh, who is uh, friends 
uh, with uh, Dave Bike is a, a good friend of mine, former basketball coach. He and Bill Baino are good friends. He resigned his position uh, with the Indiana Pacers, uh, citing mental health. He's 58 years old. But Bill Baino has, uh, during this pandemic, has suffered. Look, there's a lot of people have suffered. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to minimize what anybody else has gone through. Uh, but during the pandemic, uh, he has lost one of his parents. Uh, after losing, by the way, after losing one parent in 2019, he lost another one uh, in 2020. And then he had multiple friends during the pandemic all die. Uh, from COVID-19 related illnesses. So uh, he has been struggling, I guess, and has decided that uh, he needs to go home and reset. And, uh, you know, who can blame him? Who can blame him, you know? Uh, One other quick football note, and I know everybody's footballed out, and, you know, everybody's been uh, kneeling at the the altar of Tom Brady for the last uh, uh, 48 hours, but you know what? He deserves it. Uh, The Vikings have a new offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak, who is only 33 years old and is the son of Gary Kubiak, who was the former Minnesota Vikings offensive coordinator, retired two weeks ago. So his son, Clint, who's 33, will become the new offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, good for him. Uh, By the way, uh, you saw Tom Brady got uh, involved in a little bit of a uh, verbal confrontation with one of the uh, Kansas City Chiefs players during the Super Bowl. He actually has apologized, Brady did, and I guess uh, he reached out to uh, to the player on through text message and I guess issued a rather lengthy apology saying, hey, look, and I was a fan of yours when you were at LSU, and I've always thought you were a great leader. And you know, But look, football is one of those emotional sports. Look, anybody who has ever played a competitive sport knows that you can get carried away. Your adrenaline can get you going, and you are sometimes going to say or do something that you shouldn't. I just got a note uh, from uh, Paula Giri uh, of the Middletown Press and uh, MiddletonSexCountySports.com. Marty Schottenheimer uh, has passed away. Marty Schottenheimer, longtime coach in the NFL uh, matter of fact, uh, coached um, uh, the San Diego Chargers for a while, a team that I was uh, a fan of. He's coached, I believe he coached in Cleveland. I believe he coached in Kansas City. Uh, I'm trying to remember where else he coached, but he, he made the rounds. Uh, he had dementia, and he had just recently, I think, moved into an assisted living facility, uh, and now news has come down that uh, Marty Schottenheimer has passed away, one of the, uh, uh, the greats. One of the coaching greats, you know, and uh, he's a polarizing figure. He wasn't um, the most popular figure when he was uh, with the Chargers, but uh, uh, Marty Schottenheimer's passed away, so uh, sorry to hear that. So we get news of uh, uh, Mary Wilson this morning, and now uh, Marty Schottenheimer uh, has passed away. One other quick note before we take a break. Uh, High school basketball back here on Sports Country Radio tomorrow night. Uh, We will be at Xavier Cheshire High School at Xavier tomorrow night. Game time, 7 o'clock. I am really looking forward to it. Uh, Then we'll be back again on Friday. We've got Cromwell Boys on Friday. Uh, We're going to be doing Cromwell Boys and Girls. We're going to be doing Mercy, and we're going to be doing Xavier High School. Um, I'm just waiting to hear back uh, from one of the athletic directors just to make sure he he had said that we were good to go, but I'm just trying to confirm everything right now. Uh, but we're going to have 19 games between uh, tomorrow night and March the 18th. And then if there's any conference tournaments, we'll have that as well. But uh, high school basketball back here on Sports Country Radio tomorrow night. I'll have the schedule up hopefully later on this afternoon.
We're going to take a break. When we come back, we got a bunch of baseball news to talk about. The uh, Players Association and Major League Baseball squaring off again. But uh, the good news is spring training is going to start on time. Back in a minute, you're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Tuesday morning. We are fired up this morning. We uh, made a trip to Neil's Donuts here in Middletown. Uh, best donuts ever. I have never, and I swear to God, and I look, they aren't, they aren't advertisers on my station. I'm just telling you, best donuts I have ever had at Neil's. Just amazing. So I was up early this morning. I was at Neil's by 6.30 this morning. My wife actually was the one that prompted this. Barbara said last night, you know, we're going to have a snowstorm. You think you think Neil's will be open? I was like, yeah, I'm sure they will be. So when my wife says she wants me to go to get donuts, who am I to deny my wife anything? What a, what an idiot I would be. So anyway, uh, very uh, excited about my trip this morning. Uh, on another personal thing, uh, I'm often on a podcast called uh, The Boys of Summer. Uh, my friend Paul Arnold does it, and uh, it was uh, I got an, an envelope in the mail yesterday, and I was like, hey, "What the heck is this?" And it was from Paul, and Paul has uh, been doing some leather work. Uh, it's something; it's a hobby of his, I guess. And he knew that Carl Yastrzemski was my favorite baseball player growing up, so Paul. I guess was uh, went to a store or was near a thrift store or something and found a a baseball glove, a Carl Yastrzemski baseball glove, um, and bought it at a thrift store and turned it into a wallet for me. It's very cool. I mean, if you're on Facebook, I'm uh, I'm holding it up, but it's really neat. Um, and it says Carl Yastrzemski triple crown model right on it, and uh, it's made by Spalding and. Uh, Paul took the glove and uh, took, um, you know, a piece of it and turned it into a wallet. This is really cool. I mean, it is, honest to God, it's one of the most thoughtful gifts I ever got. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, this is cool. This is cool. And you know what the first thing I did? The uh, first thing I did with this was the same thing I used to do when I got an actual baseball glove. I put it up to my nose to smell it. <laughs> I know, I know, it's it's weird, but it's a baseball thing. It's it's a thing guys do, uh, but uh, really thoughtful gift. So, uh, you know, I don't know if Paul's listening this morning, but uh, uh, just I wanted to recognize uh, uh, what a great friend. And, you know, and this is somebody. By the way, Paul and I have never met, but we've uh, been doing uh, this thing for the last couple of years, doing the boys of summer and uh, talking on each other's shows, and it's been uh, it's been great. And uh, we're actually he and Eric Braun and I have been talking about all getting together. Uh, he also does a couple other podcasts with some guys from Connecticut and other parts of the country. So we're going to try to find a central location one day, and I'll, I'll meet up. Maybe when I move to North Carolina, we can do it. Uh, we can do it there. We can have everybody, uh, you know, come down to the mountains of North Carolina and, and get together. But uh, just a very thoughtful gift. All right. Speaking of leather and baseball, we're almost there, uh, and the baseballs are going to change, or already have changed, supposedly. In Major League Baseball, there was a uh, memo sent out to teams last week. And uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be a, a private memo, by the way. <laughs> and there is there is nothing any, that's private anymore. Uh, but uh, somebody leaked it to the Associated pr Press on the condition of anonymity yesterday um, that the ball has already been altered. Major League Baseball has deadened the ball. 
trying to slow down the big surge we've seen in home runs over the last couple of years. Now, the changes are subtle. It's not going to be like suddenly they're playing with a mush ball or a pillow ball or anything like that. Supposedly, the balls, an independent lab found that these new balls fly one to two feet shorter when they are hit over 375 feet. So, I mean, it's not like you're going to turn a 450-foot monster into a can of corn in center field. It's not that dramatic, but it is something, Uh, and it's, it's a start. And uh, they also announced that five other teams are going to be adding humidors to their stadiums so that about a third of the teams in Major League Baseball will have humidity-controlled storage spaces for their baseballs because they've also found that how the balls are stored makes a difference in uh, how far they fly. So uh, I think this is a positive step. Look, it's not just the number of home runs. It's the approach to the game. So this is a good start, but there has to be a fundamental approach to the way the game is played. And I'm not even talking about time of games. I'm just talking about the approach to hitting. You know, until players start recognizing the value of putting the ball in play and advancing runners, and hitting the ball in a gap, or hitting the ball the other way, it's not going to make that big a difference. You know, look, uh, in 2019, 6.6% of all plate appearances resulted in home runs. It's like the highest ever, all right? Last year, it fell to 6.5% in the pandemic-shortened season, but the, the the fact of the matter is it's not the percentage of home runs. It's the percentage of home runs versus the number of strikeouts. You know, it's an all-or-nothing approach to baseball these days. So this is a good start, but we need to start getting coaches and players to buy into the way baseball is supposed to be played. You know, Hank Aaron, who just passed away last month, you know, said in an interview back in December that the thing that he was the most proud of, and this is a guy who was the all-time leader in home runs until Barry Bonds cheated and passed him. This is a guy who said the thing that he took the most pride in when he was a player was always driving the runner home from third base and not striking out. This is a guy who never struck out a hundred times in a season. This is a guy who believed in moving the runner along, scoring the runner who's who's on third base with less than two outs. That was a source of pride for him. Not, I mean, I'm sure the 755 home runs, he had a lot of pride in those, but he believed in doing the other things that were important to help his team win the ball game. You know, Aaron Judge is an impressive specimen, but Aaron Judge, you know, can hit the ball to the moon, but he also swings at a lot of crap and strikes out way too often. You know, let's, let's you know, D- Dustin Pedroia, who just retired for the Red Sox, one of the things about Dustin Pedroia, you look at him, the number of strikeouts and walks he had in his career were about even. And this is a guy who didn't strike out a lot, even though Dustin Pedroia, who was, you know, what, 5'6", five, 5'7", five, used to swing 
from his heels and always looked like he was trying to hit the ball to the moon is a guy who didn't strike out a lot. So I like the, what they're doing, but there's, we need to do more than that. You know, and I'd you look, I don't want him to, I don't want to go back to a dead ball era. Like we saw, you know, in the early 19, 19th or 20th century or what we were seeing back in the sixties when they had to lower the mound back in what night after the 1968 season, when Bob Gibson had like a 1.12 ERA and pitching dominated everything. You know, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for a balance. And right now there is no balance. You know, strikeout numbers are through the roof, both, well, obviously for pitchers as well as hitters. I mean, you know, it's a lot easier for a pitcher to strike a guy out now because guys are swinging at bad pitches because they're looking to hit the ball 900 feet when sometimes a 100-foot line drive to right center field might be all you need. So, so that's number one. Uh, number two, the Players Association and Major League Baseball agreed yesterday uh, on uh, health and safety protocols, which is good. They're going to expand it. There's going to be some uh, additional contact tracing. They're going to be using, uh, they're saying, uh, advanced technology to conduct contract tact tracing. That tells me that the players are either going to have some kind of uh, tracer on their cell phone or they're going to have to carry some other kind of electronic device. I don't know what that looks like, uh, but there's going to be something like that to increase contact tracing. Uh, they agreed on, and I am not happy about this at all, they agreed on extending the new rules of having a runner on second base, starting second base in extra innings. I hate that. I mean, you know, it's just the dumbest thing ever where you go into extra innings, you start with a guy on second base, you can score a run without getting a hit. Think about it. Guy on second base, nobody out to start the inning. You haven't even earned your way on a second base, but you're going to have a runner there. So then you put a bunt down, you bunt him to third, a deep fly ball to center field, run scores, and you've scored a run without ever having to hit the baseball. Get a hit. It's just something wrong with that. I'm sorry. Um, and they've also uh, continued the seven-inning doubleheaders, which I also hate. You know, one of the things I liked about Major League Baseball is you, if you're going to have a doubleheader, you play nine-inning games. You know, uh, it, it's what differentiates pro baseball from high school and college. It's the big boys play like big boys. You know, I get it in high school and college. I get it. You know, these are young kids. You don't want to overtax arms and you usually don't have enough pitching to go around. This is major league baseball for God's sake. You can play nine inning doubleheaders. So I'm not happy about that at all. Now, what they did not agree on is the universal DH. And you know what this was? This was a big middle finger from the owners to the players because the players want the universal DH. But the owners also wanted to shorten the regular season by eight games, and the players wouldn't agree to that. So the owners said, well, fine. You know what? You won't agree to the 154 games. We're not going to agree to the universal DH, so screw you. So... That's what we got. So we got no universal DH. Now, at the end of the day, and when we had Matt Corey on here last week, he had a good point, you know, because the general idea is that a universal DH creates jobs, adds jobs for 
the Major League Baseball union, you know, so that, you know, you'll have more. No, it really doesn't. What he said, and he's right, it transfers jobs. So now maybe, you know, a player, an older player, a 40-year-old or a 41-year-old doesn't get a job this year as a DH because the National League doesn't have the DH and everybody in the American League doesn't have a spot for him. So he doesn't get a job. But that doesn't mean that somebody else won't get that job. I mean, you know, they'll use somebody else as the DH. Or, you know, it'll be a way for an American League team to just rotate who the DH is to give somebody kind of like having a half a day off when you've only got a hit, you don't have to play the field. You know, so it doesn't really add jobs. All it maybe does is extend the career, you know, maybe extend the earning potential of an older player, but it's not really adding a job. But now we're back to the, the but the biggest issue, and I and I came around to the universal DH. I was okay with it. You know, I didn't like it at first. I liked the idea of the differentiation between American and National League, but I came around to it. But, um, and and it made more sense last year as well when they realigned everything based on geography to cut down travel. This year we're going back to our regular uh, divisional conferences, so it's not going to be as a big a deal except in the you know the uh, crossover games but by and large it's not going to make that big a deal um, but I had come around to it but the biggest issue is a pitchers can't hit we already know that there's one or two okay that can really hit even the ones they say are good hitters you know you look at it yeah well that means they can hit a home run every now and then but you look at their batting average in the year it's you know they're hitting 170 you know Madison Bumgarner is supposed to be this great hitting pitcher because he can hit the ball out of the ballpark every now and then. But you look at his numbers, he's not that great a hitting pitcher. It's not get carried away. There's a couple of guys. That's it. That's it. Um, but the more concerning thing is there's a better chance of a pitcher getting hurt hitting or running the bases other, that, than they otherwise would have. You know, So that is really, I, to me, that's the biggest concern. Uh, is whether a pitcher is going to get hurt swinging a bat or running the bases. Uh, now, who will it affect? Well, it's not going to affect Nelson Cruz, who was the biggest slugger on the market because he already signed, re-signed with the Minnesota Twins uh, to come back. You know, look, Nelson Cruz can't play the field anymore. So he wasn't, you know, if there was no universal DH, there was no way he was going to a National League team. Well, that's off the board because he signed with the Twins. Now, here's interesting. Just... This weekend, on Saturday, I believe it was, the Braves re-signed Marcelo Zuna to a four-year, $65 million deal. You know, And he fit into that DH slot for the Atlanta Braves last year perfectly. Well, now it means that Marcelo Zuna has to play the outfield. Now... It's not the word. Look, Marcelo Zuna is 30 years old. It's not like he's, you know, 45 years old and can't get out of his own way anymore. And it's he's not as bad as, say, uh, J.D. Martinez is in the field. J.D. Martinez is a, a butcher out there. He is a below average outfielder. Marcelo Zuna, while not a great outfielder, is not as bad as a lot of guys. I mean, so they can, you know, they can work around that, but you wonder if the Braves would have done what they did had they known that this wasn't going to happen. I think everybody kind of assumed 
that it would uh, they'd get the universal DH. Now, you know, when I say that Ozuna is an average, he's a average to below average left fielder. But I mean, it's a guy. If 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 defensive WAR means anything to you, and it doesn't mean a lot to me, but it's only it's one of the few ways you can get any kind of a metric on, on this. I mean, last year he was a minus 0.6. So it means he was slightly below average, you know. Uh, so it's not as bad as, as as some. But you wonder if the Braves would have gone that far. Now, there's going to be another labor agreement coming up after this year um, that the Players Association and, and, and MLB has to renegotiate. So... You know, we may still see a universal DH for the last three years of Ozuna's contract, but we're not going to have it for this one. Uh, but to be sure, uh, Ozuna is a big bat in that lineup. I think he was an important bat in that lineup because uh, he's a guy that provides some protection in the lineup for guys like Freeman, uh, you know, Ozzy Albies, those kind of guys. You know, you can't pitch around Marcelo Ozuna necessarily uh, to get to Freddie Freeman. You know, so, you know, it's it's one of those things where or or having Freeman in front of Ozuna, you know, you're not going to pitch around Freeman and say, well, we'd rather pitch to Marcelo Ozuna. There's no uh, no advantage to doing that. So, um, other things of note. How about this one, Trevor Bauer? We talked about this yesterday. Signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Well, I did not know this happened, but I guess on Trevor Bauer's social media site, his team had actually put up a uh, kind of like an advertisement of some kind on Trevor Bauer's Twitter page um, advertising Mets memorabilia because it, it came down to the Dodgers and the Mets for his signing. Well, come to find out what happened, and Trevor Bauer went on Twitter yesterday to talk about this and kind of apologize. What happened was is that he has a social media team that takes care of his social media. Uh, not all of it. Obviously, he posts his own stuff, but, you know, they take care of his marketing. So he said what they had done was they had set up marketing campaigns for both the Dodgers and the Mets based on wherever he ended up signing. Well, what happened was is one of the pages, which had the Mets stuff on it, was made live prior to to Bauer making the decision. So Mets fans saw that, naturally thought that he was coming there. Well, then just a few hours later, he announces that he is signed with the Dodgers. So obviously Mets fans were incensed by this. And, you know, you can understand. So he went on yesterday to explain what had happened and to apologize. And he said, look, you know, he said, uh, uh, I apologize, you know, for how it played out. He said, I have no control, you know, uh, you know, over false media reports and, you know, because what they had done was they said, well, he did this after they had already, you know, signed the contract with the Dodgers. That's not true. So he said, you know, that was false. He said, but I accept responsibility, you know, for the mistake. You know, it was embarrassing for me, you know. So, and he said it was emotional for him. I'm sure he was, you know, we, we all know Trevor Bauer can be uh, emotional. We all know that he can fly off the handle. So I'm sure he lit up his uh, social media team pretty quickly. But what he did do, and, and good for him, I guess part of this was uh, a raffle or a giveaway. And what he said was, for, you know, for you Mets fans who entered the giveaway, 
He said, instead, you're going to be entered into a raffle for game tickets the next time the Dodgers play the Mets and fans are able to be in the stadium. And then he said, and I am also going to donate $10,000 a piece to, uh, and he listed four nonprofits in uh, the state of New York, or in the city of New York's, uh, like the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, uh, you know, Boys and Girls Club of Queens, you know, and a couple of other ones. And so he's donated $10,000 to each one of those. So, and he said, look, he said, I look forward to my next visit to the city field and hope you hear you just as loud in person, even if it's not, you know, cheering for me. Hey, look, I think Trevor Bauer, who has gotten a lot of criticism for sometimes the way he comports himself out in the field, I think he handled this uh, as well as he possibly could have. You know, and I give him credit for that. You know, I mean, I, a lot of guys would have just said, well, eh, oh, well, stuff happens. But he he made a point of, of pointing that out. So good for him. Good for him. Um, a deal that came down uh, over the weekend. Elvis Andrus, who has been with the Texas Rangers his entire career, uh, was traded to the Oakland Athletics. It was basically a swap for Chris Davis, the power-hitting left fielder slash DH for the Oakland Athletics. Now, there were some other players involved. It was, I think it was a five or six players were moved in this. But uh, Andrus is 32 years old, and uh, the uh, A's also get uh, Aramis Garcia, a minor league catcher. And then uh, Texas sends back, or the A's send back Chris Davis and two minor leaguers. Andrus is under contract for two more years. Oakland lost their shortstop. Marcus Semyon signed uh, with Toronto, so he has gone elsewhere. So they needed a shortstop, so Andrus will slide right into there. Uh, this was a case, really, of two guys, I think, that needed a change of scenery. Andrus is a two seventy five career hitter, but struggled last year, uh, had some lower back issues, only played in 30 games last year. And Chris Davis is a guy who led the major leagues in homers in 2018, hit 48 bombs. Uh, his last two years have been awful. Um Last year, he uh, was brutal, brutal, and uh, he hit 220 in 2019, and then he in 30 games last year he hit 200. In 30 games, he hit two home runs and 10 runs batted in. So I think both these guys needed to change change the scenery. I think this is a a good swap, uh, and I'll tell you what, how about a, a back to back in the lineup of Chris Davis and Joey Gallo. Guys that can hit the ball to the moon, you know this is a uh, uh, could be uh, a lot of fun for Texas Ranger fans. Um, Shohei Otani signed a two-year contract extension with the Angels yesterday, uh, worth eight and a half million dollars. He'll get three million dollars for the upcoming season and five and a half for 2022. Uh, that avoids arbitration um, for uh, Otani. He'll be arbitration eligible again in 2023. Uh, unless the Angels lock him into a long-term deal. Otani, again, hoping to be a two-way player this year. He hopes to uh, to play the outfield or, or be a DH uh, on the days he's not pitching. So uh, we'll see. You know, they're going to be very careful with him after that Tommy John surgery. Uh, and the uh, Cardinals re-signed Yadier Molina yesterday, a one-year contract for $9 million. It'll be his 18th season with the Cardinals. This is a guy that is headed for the Hall of Fame. He's a 281 career hitter. Uh, only Pudge Rodriguez and Johnny Bench have more gold gloves as a catcher than Yadier Molina. So there's no doubt uh, he is heading to the Hall of Fame. And uh, one other note uh, this morning, the Mets agreed to a deal with infielder Jonathan Villar. Um, it's a, a one-year deal, uh, and he is supposed to pl- kind of be the super sub for the Mets. He can play all over 
the infield. So uh, the Mets have signed him to a one-year contract. That is going to do it for us here this morning. Uh, we will be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Keith Urban and Pink. One too many. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.